0: You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at
1: circleofhope.church. Okay, first, I want to uh, send the kids upstairs with Amy and Laura where they'll continue the meeting. Um, secondly, i um, excited to introduce Sam. Uh Today, Um, Sam's uh, prepared a few thoughts (laughs) uh, for us. Um, He's going to share some things. Um, Sam is a is formerly a pastor in the Assemblies of God Church. Uh, Now is a systems analyst, Uh, data strategist. strategist. (laughs) Um, uh, Cool. Okay. Um, (laughs) Sam's a very thoughtful, intentional person. Um, So I'm very excited to hear what he has to share with us. Thank you. I just first want to pause on that last song. That was moving for me. I really appreciated those lines. Making amends between father and son, and if you haven't won, rest in my arms. My spiritual director once commented that it can take a lifetime to learn to have a new father. As Jordan already pointed out, this is the first Sunday of ordinary time. I happen to like ordinary time. It's a little less pressure. Uh, Sometimes during other seasons of the liturgical calendar, uh, I feel obligated to feel the way everybody else thinks I should feel, right? Uh, If you sing Christmas songs too early during Advent, uh, you're not sufficiently pensive and waiting. Uh, If you feel sorrow during the Christmas season, uh, then perhaps you don't appreciate gifts enough. Um, Sometimes I find myself having joy during Lent, um, and that feels out of place. Ordinary time is just ordinary. It's kind of less expectation to be or do a certain thing, and I think that gives us some space for complexity, so I appreciate that. We have a few scriptures from the lectionary today that I'd love to get your guys' help with reading. Um, I dropped the ball on some of the slide stuff, um, so maybe folks can just, like, raise their hand and uh, volunteer to to read for us. So um, maybe we could start with Psalm 40. Uh, The first 11 verses of that were uh, our psalm for us this week. I'm looking around here. If folks are on on Zoom and would love to read that for us, I think we can accommodate that. Maybe raise your hand or throw something in the chat so we know to look. Whatever works well for you.
2: I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Happy are those who make the Lord their trust, who do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. You have multiplied, O Lord my God. Your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us, none can compare with you. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be counted. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, here I am. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. See, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Keep going.
1: Uh, I think that's about verse 11, right?
2: Yeah, do not, O Lord, withhold your mercy from me. Let your steadfast love and your faithfulness keep me safe forever. Amen. Thank you.
1: We maybe could have just played a U2 song there, uh, at least have to make the reference. (laughs) Um, Would someone be willing to read Isaiah 49, 1 through 7? Bryant called our attention to the first part of that. uh... Great, thank you.
0: Hear me, coastlands, listen, distant peoples. Before birth, the Lord called me from my mother's womb. He gave me my name. He made my mouth like a sharp-edged sword, concealed me. Shielded by his hand, he made me a sharpened arrow. In his quiver, he hid me. He said to me, you are my servant. In you, Israel, I show my glory. Though I thought I had toiled in vain, for nothing and for naught spent my strength, yet my right is with the Lord." my recompense is with my God. For now the Lord has spoken, who formed me as his servant from the womb, that Jacob may be brought back to him and Israel gathered to him. I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is now my strength. It is too little, he says, for you to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the survivors of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, to the one despised of Lord by nations, the slave rulers. When kings see you, they shall stand up, and princes shall bow down, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you.
1: Amen. Thank you. I'll read uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9, and then uh, we'll take one more volunteer to read the gospel reading for us today. So this is from 1 Corinthians. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Sosthenes our brother, to the Christ of God that is in Corinth, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to you who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy with all those everywhere who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always on your account for the grace of God bestowed on you in Christ Jesus that in him you were enriched in every way with all discourse and all knowledge as the testimony to Christ was confirmed among you so that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ he will keep you firm to the end irreproachable on the day of our Lord god is faithful and by him you were called to fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our lord I'm going the wrong way here. Scott, can you save me? Any takers? Otherwise, you have to listen to me read this and then talk for like 10 more minutes. Great, thank you.
3: The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one whom I said, a man is coming after me who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I did not know him, but the reason why I came baptizing with water was that he might be made known to Israel. John testified further saying, I saw the spirit come down like a dove from the sky and remain upon him. I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, On whomever you see the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. The next day, John there again with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them. Come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon Andrew, the brother of Simon and followed uh, Peter, was the the one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated to anointed. Then he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated to Peter.
1: Thank you. So Bryant noticed a theme of naming and renaming in these verses. Something else entirely jumped out to me. I think that's the beauty of the biblical text. If I'm honest, the last few years have been kind of a difficult time. I think many (laughs) resonate with that. Um, There's things happening in the world. uh, There's things happening in our country. Many of us have things happening in our personal lives, right? Uh, The lyric about... Family restoration resonates with me because I've been struggling with estrangement and conflict in the family that I grew up in. I've been wrestling the last few weeks, uh, months, with grief of loss of of friends. Uh, There's been a lot of death uh, in the last several years. Um, December was a year uh, since a young man that I mentored in my neighborhood was shot and killed. um, So that gun violence feels close to home. I've also been wrestling uh, with some of the futility that I hear in the the writings of Isaiah, the sense that I've been working really, really hard, and maybe it's for nothing. Um, So I resonate with a lot of the hard feelings that are underlying the passages today. On one hand, they're all declarations of God's greatness, right? There's praise in them. They're confident, but there's little threads of the pain that must have existed before those declarations of goodness. Verse 4 from Isaiah 49, it's a little bit of a gloss, right? I thought (laughs) that I had worked in vain, but there's a true statement in that. At some point, this suffering servant, uh, maybe a personification for the, the, the people of Israel, maybe this is Isaiah himself emoting in this space, but I thought all my effort had been for vain, even though there was this sense of, of importance and preparation, that sense of calling and capacity, um, maybe a bit of hubris, but a deep sense um, that there is a difference in the world that can be made and yet despair. Psalm 40, celebration, Right? <clears throat> But the only way you can be lifted out of the miry pit and have your feet set on a rock (laughs) is to first be in the miry pit, which is not a place many of us want to be. Becca's uh, grandmother, uh, who's been part of uh, the Pentecostal movement since very, very early times, uh, tells a story, a testimony. Maybe uh, some of these stories used to circulate in newsletters from congregations all across the U.S. Uh, I think of them as kind of the early, forward this email story or else something bad will happen kind of thing, right? So I'm not necessarily asserting this as, a, as something that occurred, but the, the story is interesting. But a mother in a desperate place without money for food who goes to the grocery store and feels an unction from the spirit to stand in a particular line, which she does, but as she gets there, the clerk is going on break, <coughs> asked to move to another row, she says, I can't. I was told to stand in this line. So she stands and waits. The clerk goes away. Ten minutes later comes back, begins checking her out, and she's the millionth customer and gets all of her groceries for free. So on the one hand, this is a cool story. On the other hand, most of us wouldn't want to be in the place where we couldn't have afforded our groceries in the first place. So in the rescue, you're first in a dark place. John actually sparked my reflection in this direction. It's interesting to me that twice in this passage, despite his announcement of previous declaration of the coming of one greater than himself, John says, I didn't know him. I myself didn't know him. Twice this occurs in the passage. There are some commentators who suggest that the authors here simply didn't know the tradition, that John the baptizer and Jesus were cousins. Written at a later date, that little nugget maybe had dropped out in their editing. Perhaps this is as simple as John expressing shock (laughs) that the cousin who never seemed to show up to family reunions is now really big time. Maybe he's just saying, I didn't know he was going to be that important. But I, I resonate with maybe... A deeper reading here where John is owning some of his own ignorance. Earlier in this same chapter, we've been reminded that Jesus came to the world, but the world didn't recognize him. The people who should have loved him didn't love him. And I think perhaps John here is reflecting on his own doubt, holding together in juxtaposition his inability to believe and his declaration of the truth. These two complexities bound together. And I think at some level, many of us find ourselves in that same situation. Despair, doubt, futility. These emotions, I think, are quite common to us. And I think often, in the depth of those feelings, uh, let me not speak for all of us, let me speak for me. In the depth of those feelings, I find it hard to find God sometimes. Earlier this year, uh, well, not this year, we're now in January, but last year, in the last 12 months, um, I was feeling some of that despair. Um, Lots of things had gone wrong, Close relationships were breaking down. I was being told by people I trust that I wasn't the person I'd hoped I could be. I even picked up the phone and called a friend. And his question to me, as it often is, is, so where are you with God? And I had to own that, you know, I'm not, I'm not confident that God cares about me. And if he did, why does he let all this crap happen? I don't understand that. So I told my friend Steve, I said, I really just need to know that God can see me. The next day, that was a Sunday afternoon. The next Monday, we had friends coming for dinner. Cousins of my young friend who had been shot. They were coming because one of the young men in their family had just been arrested uh, for some activity in New Jersey, and they really weren't sure what to do from there. So I was upstairs upstairs, taking a shower, getting ready for the, to come. I told Becca, I may not even come downstairs. I'm not sure that I can deal with this right now. And my phone rang. And I look at the phone. It's my, I say, friend, Mike. At that point, we hadn't talked in about six years. And our last conversation had been really uh, complicated. He holds to some conservative views of the world. And there was a little bit of conflict for us. So the first thought that went through my head is what did I put on Facebook? (laughs) (laughs) That was the only reason I could think for him to be calling me. I'm sure I'd said something quite offensive. He was calling to explain to me why I was wrong. So I started to ignore it, and then I thought, well, I might as well get it over with now. It's not going to get any better later on. So I picked up the phone, and I said, hi, Mike, what's up? And he says, that's what I need you to tell me. I just had a sense from God that I should call you. And so I did. That for me was a moment (laughs) of feeling seen by God. Maybe there's a coincidence here. um, But I felt that moment of recognition. I felt the opportunity for some of the celebration that we heard, heard in these passages. And so as I was reflecting on these as well, I noticed that, while all these passages have some nugget of despair, of darkness, they also have this piece of celebration within a community of believers. Right, John's declaration is in the forming of a community as the disciples are gonna be called right after this recognition of who Jesus is. Psalm 40 talks about declaring the truths of God within the community of faith. Isaiah begins by calling attention. Everyone in the coastlands, listen. Everyone pay attention. Initially, in going through these, those three passages I've been resonating with, maybe there was nothing uh, devastating in Corinthians. Uh, Sometimes I have an affinity for desolation, so perhaps that hadn't grabbed me. But I got to thinking about Corinthians, right? And here is that same community idea. Paul giving thanks whenever he thinks of the people in the church in Corinth. In grace, we're enriched with the right words and the right knowledge. We're called to be with the saints together with everyone in every place who calls on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The testimony of Christ strengthens us as we wait for the revelation of Jesus. It's the people around us, it's the fellow travelers with us who have everything we need to be sustained, even when it's hard to see Christ, as we wait for an epiphany, perhaps, in the ordinariness, the mundaneness, the complexity of our lives. So I think there's some truth in this, that our community can help us overcome darkness. But even this is not simple. And I think again about ordinary time. Ordinariness on one hand is not exciting, by definition. On the other hand, it's really complicated, right? Every day is filled with ups and downs, highs and lows, where we are. So as I think about this thread of community meeting our need to see God, to be sustained through the ordinary times of life, there are a few places here that I still have questions. As I reflected on these, I thought, who really is in our community this People who, all, the, all the people together who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we balance that inclusion with safety, right? Rich Mullins has a, a funny quote. And I think he actually is telling this story as, as a quote from a, uh, from a professor that he once had. But it has this idea that God can speak to us through any number of people, right? Rich Mullins says, God spoke to Balaam through his ass and he's been speaking through asses ever since. So if God should choose to speak through you, don't think too highly of yourself. And if on meeting someone right away you recognize what they are, perhaps you should listen to them anyway. I note this to say that I think, in some sense, our community should be bigger than we might hope for it to be. I also, in contrast recognize that because of my position in society most people are pretty safe for me while i have some disagreement with my friend mike he's never really questioned my right to exist as a person he's never questioned who i find myself to be right so while we disagree over some ideas he views me with a certain level of respect so as I think about this idea of finding community and seeing Christ in that, I'm aware that there's complexity here that maybe I don't understand yet. The letter to the Corinthians is going to go on to say this is a pretty messed up community. So this is, this is a hard balance. I don't have any answers to offer there. Another thought that came to mind is that telling our stories in community is important. important. That's an element in every one of these passages. And yet, all the passages are kind of wrapped up for us at a certain level. Psalm 40 is talking about his despair after he's been rescued. It's hard sometimes to tell a story if we don't know how it's going to be tied up or what that happy ending is going to be. This testimony is part of recruiting the disciples in the passage in John. It's the basis for Psalm 40. It's the introduction in the servant's declaration. So maybe our testimony can help others find hope and encouragement. But these passages and even my own story have that neat conclusion. It's hard for us to tell stories that are not yet complete. And sometimes the assurances of positive outcomes don't seem real when we ourselves are in our own place of despair. I'm not sure what to make of that. I don't understand that piece of being in community. So while I think there's importance for us to share stories, I hesitate to say that this is the solution. And I think there's another thought that came to my mind as I thought about finding Christ in our community, right? It's that people can feel shame around failing to reach out either when they're in need of community or when they feel a sense of reaching out to others. It's easy, perhaps, for me to have my friend Mike call me and say, I called you because I've made a promise to God that whenever he puts someone on my heart, I'm going to call, right? I could hear that as, wow, how many times have, has someone come to my mind and I didn't touch base? I could feel badly about that. I'm not sure, I'm not sure that that's a helpful way to hear this. So we can bring a gift to the community when we have the strength to reach out. And we may recognize Jesus when we're standing together and pointing in the right direction. But sometimes our stories aren't finished yet. And sometimes our despair is too deep to reach out for help. So what do we do if no one in the community feels the strength to connect? The New York Times recently talked about the fact that Americans are finding their social circle narrowing and narrowing, that the number of people who have more than a handful of close friends is virtually zero. Part of me wants to have faith in the supernatural power of Christ to break into that reality. And part of me looks around at the world as it falls apart, and I can barely hope for that. So I'm not sure what to make of that about the need for us to reach out in community. And I think that's, a, that's an open question for me. So maybe this is why I like ordinary time. The community is as simple as friendship and as hard as friendship. It's natural and it's supernatural. It's a bit murky and it's often unclear, yet the invitation can be for us. All of this talk I've just given might be great, But it also isn't the same thing as feeling and experiencing and knowing these things deeply, right? The conversation from the gospel reading is kind of a non sequitur for me. Jesus asks, what are you looking for when John's disciples come to him? And they respond by saying, where are you staying Perhaps what they're looking for is community, connection, belonging. It's not entirely clear. Jesus says to them, Come and see. So as I reflect on these passages, I think maybe your story is in a dark place. And I can make no promise that your story will turn out with hope, right? We like to tell stories with having endings, the stories that have tragic endings we don't often repeat. <laughs> on a good day, on my best days, I, with those early disciples, can say, Come, we have found the Messiah. And so I hope, perhaps, there is for you some invitation in Jesus' words Come and see. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhope.net.